Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hey, you guys, and welcome back to Bar Fights. I'm so happy you're here today. We have an amazing guest. It's going to be good. Michael Bryant is our guest today, and he's a journalist, uh, practicing attorney, and a broadcaster, which he's been doing for almost 30 years. Um, he's a creator and executive producer of the A&E series, I Survived a Crime, which I'm interested in talking about. Um, and he's also a host. You guys have seen him on Law and Crime Network, which I watch all the time, an outlet that streams live trials. They cover Johnny Depp, Alex Murdaugh, Lori Vallow Daybell, which I was just watching the other day. That's some crazy stuff there. Um, and he's been a correspondent. You've seen him everywhere, legal correspondent, legal analyst, anchor, court TV, the Today Show, um, the early show, Entertainment Tonight, CNN, Fox, among other major outlets. But he's working on a new show, and I want to talk about that show today, too. It's called Taking the Stand, which tells the story of a crime from the unique lens of the accused as they take the witness stand. And we know, um, you crime junkies out there, we watch these trials, and very rarely do we see defendants um, hop on the stand. And when we do, it's it's interesting stuff. So we're going to dive into that. Michael, thank Thank you for being here on Bar Fights. Welcome. Thank you so much. That was quite the intro. I'm uh, I'm exhausted. Well, listen, that, that's your fault for being so fancy, you know? <laughs> I, I think I'm just old and I survived. Well, there we go. There we go. Um, great. So I'm a big crime junkie. I'm a trial lawyer, obviously. Um, I watch law and crime all the time. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you went from, you know, I know you're a practicing lawyer, you're licensed in California. How did you go from that to sort of this um TV position and, and all the experience you've had in TV land, how did you make that tra tra transition? Yeah, it, it was kind of odd. It was never really the plan, but, you know, most things aren't, you know, they just kind of happen. I was doing, you know, traditional TV. I started radio, then I was doing TV and I was doing sports. Then I got out of that and just trying to figure out what I was going to do next and said, oh, I'll go practice law. Maybe I'll go to law school. That'll kill a few years. So I did that. <laughs> And then I uh, was with a big firm for a couple of years and realized, you know, this this is not for me. I like the mental challenges, but it's just, yeah, it's not me. So I was working for the federal government uh, in Sacramento at one point, And I did learn that when you work for the federal government, you got a lot of free time. So during this free time, uh, as, as a government attorney, whatever that is, um, I created this this news feature called The Legal Edge. And it's it's syndicated two minute feature that, uh, you know, when you think about the concept, you're like, oh, that's boring. Uh, but it covered we did more than a thousand of these segments over the course of 
So the legal edge worked because it was just kind of a unique way to look at everyday legal problems. You know, I might be uh, in a straitjacket talking about, uh, you know, contract law, or I might be buried up to my neck in sand, uh, you know, talking about some other problem. So it was just, it was fun to get creative and, and make very, really boring legal issues, important, but boring, uh, make them entertaining. You know, so we did that for a number of years. We won a couple of Emmys. And then uh, I went to Extra uh, as uh, a, a consumer correspondent. And that was the year, it goes back a ways. That was the year, I think it was around 2005-ish maybe, where um, they were kind of, they were like a real magazine show. They had medical stuff. They had legal stuff. They had consumer. They, and then that lasted about a year and they went back to total entertainment. And so I had a five-year deal there and I stayed and, you know, did what I like to call the stories of substance on extra. Uh, and that usually would be like, oh, Johnny Carson died or uh, Ed McMahon is suing somebody. Uh, so it, not exactly the original plan. And I just didn't have a lot of taste for, you know, the celebrity life and, and those stories. Not not, you know, they're, they're great, uh, you know, candy and uh, maybe sorbet. But I thought it was just a little, uh, you know, kind of um, not challenging enough. I really like to do stuff that I felt was kind of smarter. Uh, so I moved to New York to do A Current Affair, the second coming of A Current Affair, which, you know, arguably is probably not a lot different, but at least we did some weird investigative stuff. I mean, weird. Yeah. Like I went undercover at a brothel in Venezuela. Um, I mean, just weird. Uh, and so that was kind of fun. And then that got canceled. So then I went to Cord TV, the original Cord TV, and did a few years there. And then that got kind of taken off the air. Are you seeing a theme with my career here? <laughs> so, uh, in fact, your show may be in jeopardy at this moment. Oh, uh, so, so anyway, and then uh, and then I ultimately ended up uh, back on a you know court TV esque situation when Dan and I got together, Dan Abrams, uh, on Law and Crime Network, which you know to me has always been kind of where I belong. It's great to be entertaining and have fun, but it's smart TV. And the challenge for me is just kind of blending those two things. You know, we're doing some nasty, ugly stories, um, but, you know, I find a way to at least make them somewhat, you know, entertaining is probably too strong a word. But, you know, I, I work in a little bit of levity where I can in the context of some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, but that's the story. I love it. Absolutely. And I have had the honor of coming on Long Crime TV a few times and it was really, really fun. And and um, I'm definitely a fan who is glued to some of these crazy trials um, that we see. And the programming is just so, um, so good. Tell me about so you start this show on A&E called I Survived a Crime. I want to talk about that for a second because a lot of my show here, we're talking about survivors. We're talking about what it takes for someone to get through arguably some of the worst, most, most horrific um, stuff perpetrated upon them possible. And how do people come out the other side? How do people, how do some people come out the other side and other people don't? Um, what did you, what did you see working on that show? What did you learn? And what is sort of that concept of survivorship mean to you having seen all of these crazy ass stories? Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's encouraging and it's surprising 
sometimes as people are, and nobody knows, you know, what they're going to do until they're confronted with one of these life-threatening situations. You know, hopefully okay. most of us won't be, but, you know, that's where you learn, uh, you know, what you're made of. Uh, and, and, you know, we've talked to people that would seem as low-key and quiet as you might imagine, but, uh, you know, you threaten their kid and watch out. So yeah. this show originally was actually called Fighting Back. Uh, but when I pitched it to, and I partnered with Long Crimes Production Arm with my production company, and we pitched it together to A&E as Fighting Back, this was right on the heels of George Floyd. Wow. So there was some hesitancy to a show called Fighting Back, suggesting it might be, ooh, it's too vigilante-esque. It's, you know, um, TV executives don't always think things through. They're kind of knee-jerk types. Um, so we we kind of softened it. And it really opened up some of the stories by calling it I Survived a Crime, because you don't have to survive by fighting back. A lot of people do, but there are other ways to survive. And so we had, you know, we had people that uh, all they did was comply with like a robbery at a convenience store. But the way she complied, the just the, the visceral feeling that this woman is so terrified she may never come out of a room again. And, and she did, in fact, suffer that kind of debilitating reaction to having a gun put in her face, you know, um, but she survived. So um, it really, in a way, helped us kind of open up the the genre. And uh, we just finished our second season. It just I think last week might have been the last episode of the second season. But we got you know, this is some of that inside baseball junk that the tv is interesting uh, for you know we did our first season we did 24 episodes it went fine you know and then they kind of were just kicking around what to do with it and netflix picked it up and you go on netflix now it went to number two nationally i survived a crime and so a and e said oh wait a minute went to number two on netflix we need more of these uh and so that's why we just finished another season of 12. Awesome. Yeah. I was glued, glued, glued to it. And I think, you know, it's the psyche is an interesting thing. Right. And I think you, we see some of that, you know, you don't know what you're made of, like you said, until you're faced with some of this stuff and, and how do you come out of that kind of life altering trauma? And what is, what does that look like um, for you? So you guys check that out. I survived a crime. I love that show. And let's talk about taking the stand. I'm so fascinated by this because where we watch all these trials, which, you know, some, some of them are, are live streamed. And the big question in the courtroom is always, is the defendant going to take the stand? What are they going to say? How's that going to uh, affect the jury? Are they going to be likable? Are they going to be awful or crazy? Um, tell me about this show. Tell me about how you got the concept for it and, and sort of what you've learned about this. Sure. I think it's a unique kind of show. And, and to be uh, uh, transparent here, this is a Dan Abrams show. He hosts it and I'm just a producer, one of the producers on the show. Um, but the reason I got involved was it's this weird combination of true crime and procedural, you know, kind of kind of uh, uh, if a true crime show met law and order, you know, where you, mm -hmm. you're getting a little inside what's happening after the crime. Obviously, learning about the crime and what the evidence shows is key, but you're also looking at it slightly from a procedural standpoint. And you can figure anytime you have a defendant claiming self-defense pretty good chance they're going to take the stand they almost have to because they have to convince the jury they reasonably feared for their life or the life or the lives of others that really the only reason you can justify 
deadly force uh, in self-defense cases. But we've seen, you know, on the network, of course, we've had uh, Alec Murdoch, we had uh, Johnny Depp, you know, these were defendants that, you know, Murdoch especially, he didn't have to take the stand. He wasn't claiming self-defense. He was claiming I didn't do it. Uh, but Depp was a civil case, more likely you're going to take uh, the stand in that case. But it can it can it can sink or swim your whole case. I have a concept which is very simple. Never underestimate the power of likability. You can get somebody on the stand that has been accused of some very evil things. And if they can win over the jury, if they come off as likable, it can diffuse some of the worst evidence going. I'll give you one example of a case we covered. Uh, it was called the Scandorito case. Scandorito, my favorite kind of Dorito. This is a guy that was accused of killing his father uh, and then dismembering him and scattering his parts about uh, a golf course nearby. Oh, lovely. So he's charged. Yeah, he's charged. And a great guy. He's charged with killing his dad. And, you know, so two separate tri- crimes, the dismemberment and the murder. Um, he takes the stand. Jury liked him, seemed very unassuming and, and believable. And he basically said, my dad had a heart attack because he was doing drugs with me. I then felt I had to cut him up and hide his body because I would get nailed for the cause of death as being my drugs. Not I murdered him, but now I'm going to be busted for my drugs. So he basically painted a picture for this jury that he was kind of drug addled. And that made sense. He's acquitted of the murder, but he's oh, convicted of, of dismembering and hiding the body. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah, that is absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. I totally agree with you. I think we see that run into all sorts of things in life too. that likability, right? Politic, um, you know, even just simple workplace, you know, relationships. I mean, likability is is one of those things that that can really persuade people one way or another. Um, what have been some of your favorite trials to cover? What are or the or the craziest trials? Let, let's hear all the juice. Boy, I mean, uh, it's not like there's a, a small sampling. I'll tell you because <laughs> if we're covering if we're covering it on the network or it's part of uh, uh, taking the stand, it, it it's going to be kind of notorious just in and of itself you're going to see it um the scandarito is one of my favorites i always use that as an example when i'm talking to folks about the the, um, the defendants and what that means when they decide to take the stand I, I mean you know just like a lot of folks it's not odd when a case captures everybody's attention it's not like oh i didn't like that case that was weird no alec murdoch that case captured the world and the same thing is true of Johnny Depp, our network, Long Crime Network, passed five million subscribers on uh, on YouTube uh, recently. But it was spearheaded and jumpstarted by Johnny Depp. Yeah, that case, that case was unbelievable. Yeah, um, and you know we, we've had we've had others that are you know more scandalous. But hey, celebrity goes a long way to get people intrigued. Yeah, and civil cases aren't, you know, aren't typically the ones featured, right? It's, it's. No, it's because, you know, I used to do some civil work and we don't get to trial. That was one of the things that was very yeah. frustrating about practicing. You know, you, you gear up, you know, uh, a trial is a performance and I like to perform. And, you know, you got your audience of 12 very important people there, but you don't get there all that often in the civil world. So yeah. that was, that's one thing that keeps those cases off TV. Uh, they resolve, they just settle. Uh, yep. And the other thing is a lot of them are boring, you know, they're business litigation, yes. um, you know, but this case, 
And a defamation case, it never goes to trial. I mean, they are not favored in the law, as you know. It's, it's, it's not a very good case, generally. It is so hard to prove. But this had all of the elements. It was outrageous. You had pretty people. Uh, it, it, it hit it all. It was, it was very fun to, to cover. It sure. I was I was glued to that. Uh, like I was spending like, you know, eight hours a day or something like I had. When we had that on, you know, there are times when, when the court would go to a break and when they do, they would generally show you know, there's the uh, court logo, right? They would tilt the camera up and show the yeah. logo. We would yeah. have times where there are 100,000 people watching the logo. Wow. Just, you know, just afraid to miss anything. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the likability factor really played into that case. Oh, no doubt. And then you no think of like these Jody Arias, Casey Anthony women. I mean, they were so unlikable. I'm still shocked Casey Anthony walked out of that courthouse. Yep. Pretty amazing uh, because that, that certainly bucks the trend. But yeah. uh, that's just goes to show you never know what the 12 in the box are going to do. You never know. You never know. You're exactly right. Um, the the Russian roulette of the human psyche. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. doing a case right now. I just I was on the air earlier. This is the case of an NFL football player accused of rape and kidnapping. Mm. And he's probably going to have to take the stand because that's a typical, you know, he said, she said there was nobody else there during the time the alleged event took place. And so this is a big doofy guy, six foot six, 325 pounds. Uh, uh, He's an offensive guard for the Eagles kind of on suspension while this plays out. But um, if if they think this guy comes off as just kind of a lovable doof um, and he misread signals or, you know, whatever it may be the guy could he could get off and that's going to boil down to what 12 people kind of lean toward that perceived innocence you know if he comes off as some jerk uh that disrespects women you know uh, then then it's going to it's going to hurt him when the jury starts chatting about him but we don't know what those 12 people think yep yeah and we also both know um having practiced law in in front of juries uh, it comes down to pr- preparation too right how well is he prepped and how how coachable um is he as a defendant how how well can yeah. his lawyers prep him up to be likable and of course and, you know, cross-exam yeah. is is you know you can survive direct because it's orchestrated but man when cross-exam comes at you you really need to be prepared have you seen, do you have any examples of anybody taking a stand that just was completely just nuts and said crazy ass stuff and everybody was just shocked? Yeah, you know, um, and this is horrible, but I'm bad with names. I remember stories better. Uh, but there was a, a woman recently, an older woman who took the stand. I think it was, I um, can't even remember the jurisdiction, but she was so schmarmy and so arrogant and so cocky and so flippant about the way she talked about what happened or what she was accused of doing. Uh, I knew in a, in a heartbeat, she's going down. Uh, I just got, I can't recall her name offhand, but she comes to mind immediately because the impression she left with anybody who watched was th- this woman is a, is a horrible person. So yeah. we don't like her now. Who knows what she's capable of? Yeah. 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 And so it's so good. So long crime network, how do people find you guys? How do people subscribe? What is, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere now, you know, we started, I've been there now six years, I think since the network started and um, 
you know, we were literally in that little corner room in a, in a, in a floor in uh, Midtown. And now it's a pretty, pretty good operation they've set up there. And you can get it, you know, Peacock, uh, any of the streaming services, obviously longcrime.com. You can go to that directly. I think, you know, Peacock or any of the others that you might already have. So it's free. It's already on there. I think mm-hmm. if you subscribe directly from the website, it's uh, maybe $20 a year, something like that. But it's out there. Don't pay for it. It's free. You can get it free. You can find it. Uh, <laughs> I as, love part it. Of, as part of some other service. Yeah. Don't tell Dan I said that. I won't tell Dan. I've been on before with Terry Austin. That was who I was oh, great. on a couple times. Yeah, she, was, she was on today. She's She was just back from um, downtown in New York uh, where uh, another celebrity has been accused of a couple of misdemeanors um and i won't spoil it for you because it didn't didn't happen today they were going to go to court today and they postponed it for a month but uh it's a guy who is uh, one of the new marvel heroes and uh, this oh, is wow. obviously a wrinkle wrinkle in his uh his uh, career path um yes, so yes. And she's great i love terry and she was yeah. out in the field for a lot of the more recent trials we had she's great Yep. She's awesome. I've had a lot of fun working with her. Um, And let's just touch on the trial of the year, in my opinion, this Brian Koberger trial. What do you, what, what do you think about that? How do you think that's going to play out? Do you have any guesses as to what's going to happen there? No, I got lots of guesses, (laughs) Um, but I, you know, I mean, they've really put a lid on it. You know, it's really buttoned up pretty tightly but we know enough basic info like his dna allegedly found on that sheath the knife covering that was found at the scene uh i mean that puts him there unless you can make a great argument for for transference and we're going to hear that we're going to hear dna experts from the defense talk about how easy it is to transfer dna from one place to another there's no doubt about that so unless they come up with some crazy story about how that sheath was you know somebody else's and he borrowed it or touched it at some point uh, I, I think that's a tough one to overcome. And, and you know, the fact that he traveled across the country, um, you know, there's some 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 suggestion that he's got uh, guilty conscience there. Uh, and he's and he's a freaky, creepy dude. So uh, that's that's a factor. I don't think he would ever, ever take the stand. You know, it'd be great if he did good entertainment but i i don't think that's ever gonna happen well that's what i'm uh, so curious about because he seems just narcissistic enough well that's you know that's that's the you know kind of the uh uh you know the the um tiebreaker if you've got somebody that really doesn't need to take the stand will they because they are that way like alec murdoch you know he didn't have to take the stand but you know these are people that think they're smarter than anybody else in the room and that uh, just give me just give me a chance and i'll you know i will convince them of my innocence yes. it's also sometimes a desperation move like they got me you know I'm, I'm screwed so what do i got to lose yeah yeah because he put out some statement or his lawyer put out some statement very early on saying this case well, the same statement all defense attorneys put out right like let the facts will speak for themselves and his innocence will be proven and whatever and i'm going is this dude gonna get up there and try to convince us um that he didn't do this and if so i'm gonna have to take that day off of work <laughs> to oh, go yeah. Watch yeah. That. yeah that that's that's a watch party yeah if yeah. that happens 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And ironically, he when he was arrested, I happened to be about 20 minutes away. So um, yeah. I was like feeling extra, like maybe I need to grab my cell phone and go, you know, do a little correspondence from yeah, there you the go. middle of the Poconos, you know, um, such a random, random place to be. So yeah, that'll be exciting. I know you guys will be covering that. Um, and I'm excited to watch your coverage of that. Um, Michael Bryant, I'm just, I'm thrilled. I could pick your brain for forever. Um, I, I love your programming. I love what you work on you guys, the shows I survived a crime, check it out. And then of course the new show taking the stand and you can see Michael, um, as a host right there on law and crime network, Michael, thank you for joining us on bar fights. Thank you. I love it. It's been great. We'll see you soon. Um, And to all of you listeners, we will see you next Monday right here on Bar Fights. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.